Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Hi, my name is Mark. I'm the pastor here at The Vine. One of the things that we love to do at our church is to blur the lines between churches, because for us, our greater identification is not to a church, but to Christ and Christ's kingdom. And that involves all of the churches that are following him. And so one of the ways that we do that is by inviting uh, other pastors to come and preach at our church on occasion, especially for this series on women in the Old Testament. As we do this survey, I thought it'd be really, really odd for me to preach every single Sunday. Sunday, you know, uh, so I get to invite some of my favorite preachers here in town who also happen to be women to come and preach, and today is one of those days. You guys are in for a treat. Emily Wright uh, has been in Austin now, now four years, four years, uh, for, come from Georgia. She was a collegiate athlete, basketball, volleyball, so I did not do my, my <laughs> Wikipedia page has not been updated for you, sorry. Uh, So volleyball, and uh, she pastors a church in Westlake called Westlake Hills Presbyterian Church, where she leads uh, with absolute uh, reputation of being courageous, wise, and really funny. One of the first things I heard about Emily is also, you can be the judge of this when she comes up here, but someone said, Mark, it was as if you have an older sister who's much taller and much more athletic than you will ever be. (laughs) And I'll take it. So can, with that, can we welcome Emily up here? I have heard that as well, that, I, that we could be related, except the height thing. Um, I'm actually going to grab this. Hopefully that's not going to mess up the musician. I got it. So um, I want you all to know that I have never, ever been asked to be a guest preacher. And I've been in ministry for 20 years. And so I wonder if that has something to do with, like, my gender or I don't know what. It's just something. So I'm very nervous. So um, forgive me. My dad used to say, if you don't get nervous before you go out to play, it means you're not taking it seriously. And so I'm going to consider that I'm taking this seriously. I'm so privileged to be here. What y'all might not know is that this church is kind of a semi-church plant from the church where I currently serve. And so there are a lot of people in here who used to worship at the church where I serve. And so I, I just, I'm so excited to see this fruit um, of the kingdom being built. And when I first moved here, I had been at a church before, the one I'm at now, for 16 years. Like I started there, I had just been married. They raised me. They raised my children. And so we like uprooted our whole family when we, at not an ideal time. And um, Mark was a friend who he knew the, the church where I had been and um, just sat with me over coffee and listened, and so I'm super grateful to, to be here. So if I was to ask you, what was your favorite part of elementary school, what would you say out loud? Recess, yes, Louise, absolutely. So I'm super hyperactive, and I mean, my mom like wanted me to run before school, let alone during school, and so it was the time when I could get my wiggles out. It was the time when I kind of got to make my own independent decisions that nobody was telling me what I had to do. I could choose the game. I could choose which group I wanted to engage in. And as I, I always wanted to be the one that like played the sports with the boys. And and there was that dreaded time every day when the same two extremely confident jocks would choose teams. 
Is this causing PTSD for anybody? And, and the same two little brats <laughs> would stand there and they would, of course, call all the guys first. And, and even though I was super tall, um, I would be the first girl called. But then I remember during the game, I mean, no one ever passed it to the girls. It was the same few kids. And if it happened to get tossed or thrown or passed to a boy that maybe wasn't quite as athletic, the comment would be, oh, you play like a girl. Okay, well, have any of y'all seen the University of Texas volleyball or softball teams? Let's just say the UT volleyball team is better than any UT sport. And if that means playing like a girl, I'm in. All right? That's fine by me. But I think about that I never had the courage to ever say anything. I didn't, don't even know if I was like, can y'all hear me okay? Because this is so high up on my face. I don't know if I even had the frontal lobe intelligence to know that, that I was experiencing some type of like marginalization and that was just being a white girl. I can't even imagine what it is like for, for people of color or people who don't identify as like a neurotypical child. I never thought, oh, I should probably say something because this isn't right. And our text today is gonna, is gonna beautifully display this very, very, very overlooked story in scripture. I, I'm gonna gander that most of you have never even heard of it because I had never heard of it until I was long past seminary and the pastor I was working for did a series on hidden figures and said, hey, Emily, you should preach on these women. And I was like, never heard of them. And, and he was like, no one has. So I want you, I want you to, to teach on them. But what I, before we talk about this passage and before it's read by one of our community, I, I wanna tell you a little bit about the story. It's so incredible what's happened up until it. And if you, it's one of those stories in scripture that you could so easily read over because it's like, it's not that many verses. And it does get, in most modern versions of scripture, it does get a subtitle. It does. So it actually says, the daughters of Zelophehad. So there is a little bit of a hint, but there's not much of a hint. And they are truly some of the most overlooked in all of scripture. So just a quick 60-second history. The Israelites, they are set free from slavery in Egypt, and they go into the wilderness. And we know that they wander there in the wilderness for 40 years. There's people that die because of rebellions. There's a plague that is put on the people of Israel and it says that like tens of thousands of Israelites die. And then God says to Moses, I want you to do a census. So they've already been in the wilderness for a while. I want you to do a census because when you get into the promised land, we need to know how to divide up the land, okay? So first, Moses goes and there, Moses and all of the priests and all of the leaders, and the text tells us the whole congregation. So a large number of people are gathered to hear if they are mentioned in getting an inheritance of the land. Moses goes through all 12 tribes of Jacob. And then our text picks up today. I'm going to invite you forward to read and I'm going to pray as you are coming. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this ancient word. We thank you for the fact that we get to freely listen to it and also freely listen to your spirit. 
And so I pray that each of us would hear what you have, the word that you have for us this day, so much so that we could not leave from this place as we entered. In Christ's name, amen. So joining me as we go back into Zelophehad's daughter's time in Numbers 27, 1 through 11. The daughters of Zelophehad, son of Hephar, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manseah, belonged to the clans of Manasseh, son of Joseph. The names of the daughters were Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milka, and Tazar. They came they came forward and stood before Moses, Eleazar the priest, the leaders, and the whole assembly at the entrance to the tent of, me, of the meeting and said, Our father died in the wilderness. He was not among Korah's followers who banded together against the Lord, but he died for his own sin and left no sons. Why would our father's name disappear from his clan? Because he had, because he had no son? Give us property among our father's relatives. So Moses brought their case before the Lord, and the Lord said to him, What Zelophehad's daughters are saying is right. You must certainly give them property as an inheritance among their father's relatives, and give their father's inheritance to them. Say to the Israelites, If a man dies and leaves no son, give his inheritance to his daughter. If he has no daughter... Give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, give his inheritance to his father's brothers. If his father has if his father had no brothers, give his inheritance to the nearest relative in his clan that he may possess it. This is to have the force of the law for the Israelites, as the Lord commanded Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. It is a, it's easy to kind of marvel at what these women did. I mean, so bold, so extremely courageous, not just to make a statement, but they went before all the VIPs, all the CEOs, all the COOs, all the most important people on campus. Because the scripture tells us that it was before Moses, it was before the priests, it was before the leaders, and the entire congregation in a culture where women did not have a voice. We know this. They did not have a voice. They, they were property. You know, the more you had, the, the more robust of a family you were kind of promised to have. And, and they didn't have any opportunity to use their voice. And yet when they did use their voice, they often got in trouble for it. So I think what, what possessed these five women, these sisters, to come together and then to go make the statement. So I'm one of four girls, and we never came together, still to this day, on anything. I don't know how they did it. Five women, even five friends have a hard time being able to come together on something. But they come together not for individual gain. They come together because they know that there is something bigger going on here. Before we look at what the women say, I want to make sure to note a few things about the text is about how they approached the situation, even before they opened their mouths. The text says, 
they made sure to tell us that they went into and stood before all of the leaders at the entrance to the tent of meeting. This is very important for them to locate physically where the women were because see, the tent of meeting, once you entered the entrance, that's as far as women could go. They couldn't enter into the tent of meeting. And so what these women demonstrate to us is this, this respect for the tradition, for the people that they were going to talk to. Because if, if they had immediately just burst in, I mean, it would have put the people off that they are trying to have a conversation with us. These women had something to say, but they, I'm going to say they were clever. They were clever in how they approached the people that they felt like needed to hear something. They created, as they just broached the tent of meeting, they created space for conversation. The second thing the text is sure to tell us is that these women have come doing their research. They didn't approach and then immediately begin to weep and wail. They approached, and it says their opening words are about their father and about the evidence that they know, the facts that they know. Their father was not part of the rebellion of Korah. They know that they say the facts that their father was someone that was a righteous man, and he didn't get caught up in the rebellion or in any of this stuff like so many that they know have just recently died. They're giving the people the facts. They had educated themselves on what would have been important for those men to hear. They came prepared. They knew the history of their people. And so they stood confidently before Moses, before priests, before the leaders, and all the congregation. And this is what they did. They just told their story. They told their story. They told it, though, with thoughtfulness. They told it in a way, and they say, it's not right that because of our sex, we won't have access to land. It's not right just because our father didn't have any sons that we do not also get an inheritance. Y'all have to realize that this is new territory the first time in all of the Hebrew Bible. In the entire Hebrew Bible, there has not been an Israelite woman attempt to enter up to this point in scripture to push the law, to question the law. Women were identified and given status based only on their identification with a man, with a husband, or a brother, or a father. I love that Moses doesn't know what to do, because it's, first, it's a first time for him, too. And so the scripture is intentional to tell us that Moses asks God, what should I do? They've really stumped me. And this is what God says. The daughters of Zelophehad are right in what they are saying. Well, that word right, I always assumed that meant correct. Like they made the right decision. They are accurate. Like God was saying, they are exactly right. But that's not the Hebrew word that's used here. The Hebrew word that's used here, it, it means just. It means the right, moral, ethical thing to do. He's saying what they are saying is how it ought to be. This is how it should 
be. The word that comes to mind when I think of who these women were, it's bold. Not bold in the way that you or I might think, like brash and aggressive and at it. But bold because they were willing to risk everything for their future. They were willing to be the ones that, that got maybe rejected. That Moses would say, nope, sorry. Where they would have been left behind because they would have been beggars. They would have had no inheritance, no land for them to be able to live on. And they were not going to let the fact that they were without a father or without brothers hold them back because they knew in their heart of hearts that God had made this promise. God had made a promise to all people. God had made this promise to all people even though the way people had interpreted the law said differently. Throughout history, we have had others like these daughters of Zelophehad, haven't we? Thoughtfully that speak for justice. As we are like closing out this week of Martin Luther King Jr., I, like, I mean, he's the famous person that we think of. I think about how he, it didn't matter what the crowd was, whether it was tens of hundreds of thousands of people or if it was before a coffee shop, that, that Dr. King always came so prepared I mean, literally, if you look at his sermons, so prepared for the crowd and always so prepared for a conversation in a respectful and humble way, bold and thoughtful. But then I think of all the not-so-female people, that not-so-famous female people in my life. Like, all of us can point to Dr. King. All of us can point to, point to these amazing famous people that were bold so that all of us can now do some of the things that we're doing in this country. But then I have to name them. Because the book of Numbers named every one of those daughters. And I cannot tell you the dozens of women that, that said, use your voice, Emily. My youth pastors, Emily Anderson and Kathy Cooper. When I was a young pastor, the, the women like Margaret Turney Ayer that, that just told me, use your voice, speak, but use it wisely. And then my dear friend, Lindsay Slocum, who to this day guides and strengthens me to use my voice to speak about what is right, to speak to the world and say, this is how things ought to be. What about us? The way our culture, the way media, majority media, tells us to be bold is so different than this. I would go so far to say that I would be encouraged to cross that tent of meeting. Barge in. Be ready with rocks in my hands because I know how things ought to be. Regardless of the people and respect for the tradition that is there. Even if the tradition is not how things ought to be. Even if things ought the tradition or the very thing that you are coming up against is not how it ought to be. There is still a way that Christ calls us to then confront that. Have you witnessed things recently in your life or when you're driving or in your home or on TV or on a TV show and you thought, this is not how it ought to be? Last night was the Lunar New Year. In, in Austin, we have a huge Asian population. In the district where I live, 30% of our students are from Asia and India. And last night in Monterey Park, which is a 65% predominant Asian population, 
they were celebrating the Lunar New Year and someone came in and shot 10 pe 20 people, we know 10 died. And, and I say, this is not how things ought to be. This is not how things ought to be. I truly believe that one of the greatest ways Christians can and must use our voices is doing it in relationship face-to-face. -face. Is walking up prepared to the entrance to the tent of meeting with other people and courageously speaking the truth about the history and telling our story. Because see, the women could have sent a man to ask. They could have sent a friend to plea for them on their behalf. They actually, if they were, you know, like charismatic enough, they could have rallied a rebellion to storm the tent of meeting. They could have come in protest with sticks and clubs because that's how we do things. That's what we do. We see the same people sleeping underneath bridges and on the corners of our neighborhoods week after week, and then we will see posts that are complaining about keeping those people out of our area of town. We see this post, this post or a blog entry and we don't agree with it or a Facebook comment, and then we, we leave a comment just to have the last word and like turn it off as if that is the last word at all. We write an email stating our opinions and then do not leave the conversation open for another person to respond. We just don't even respond at all. These women chose face-to-face -face conversation. Bold. Friends, as followers of Christ, we are called to be like these overlooked, faithful women. Bold, courageous, prepared, thoughtfully speaking for the way things ought to be. I wonder if you have found your voice yet. Have you found your sisters or brothers to stand with you in conversation against the things that are not as they ought to be? Is there an issue in your life that continues to fire you up? Pay attention to it. Pay attention to it. In Greek, the, the word for compassion is splognica, and it means like a gut. So if you're paying attention to your gut, that issue that keeps creeping up within you, pay attention to that. That's the spirit speaking, saying, it's, you're wrestling with this because things are not as they ought to be, and you might be that daughter of Zelophehad that needs to go to get some people with you before the tent of meeting, prepared, respectfully, and begins a conversation. And so the next time, friends, that we find ourselves on the playground and someone does or says something, like, you throw like a girl, or don't pick her, She's too small. Don't prick him. He's not athletic enough. May we link arms with a sister or brother in Christ. May we boldly, courageously, and respectfully go begin a conversation so that things are as they ought to be. May it be so in my life and in yours. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about the vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to the Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.